This week, we turn to Psalm 143, where David now looks inside himself and sees his own personal need for revival. And as I said earlier in verse 11, he says, for your name's sake, revive me. Our translation says, for your name's sake, preserve my life. But it's the same concept. Revive me. Bring me life out of death. So I want you to consider as we read this prayer of David this morning and think about it together, I want you to consider, do you feel that pressing need for your own revival? Do you feel a pressing need for personal revival? Does the cry of David's heart, as we read it, does it echo yours at all? Uh, Maybe not the whole psalm, but maybe there are pieces of it that uh, echo your heart's cry as well. Well, let's find out if that is true as we stand together and read and hear the word of the God who loves us. Psalm 143, a psalm of David. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me. In your righteousness, enter not into judgment with your servant. For no one living is righteous before you. For the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore, my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Selah. Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies. And you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul. For I am your servant. Thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated as I pray. Father, we come to you this morning and ask that you would help us um, to understand your word, to have a better understanding of David's prayer, but, uh, but not just so that we have some kind of new biblical knowledge, but so that, uh, although it's certainly not less than that, but that we are transformed by having this prayer that you provided for us, this way to talk to you in the middle of our troubles. And we do pray, God, that you would revive us, each of us personally. Let the revival of your church, of this church, start with each of us individually. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. In order to live like a man, I have to pray like a little boy. 
In order to live like a man, I'm going to have to pray like a little boy. I remember the first time I heard Larry Crabb say that, I thought, now that's counterintuitive. That's countercultural. In order to live like a man, I'm going to have to pray like a little boy. And he would also say, in order to live like a woman, I'm going to have to pray like a little girl. It's, it's counterintuitive and countercultural because it seems that in our culture these days, we despise weak men. We praise strong women. The bottom line is we love strength in our men and in our women, um, not weakness. And to say, in order to be the man God wants me to be and to be the woman that God wants me to be, I have to pray like a little child, that's weakness. Little children are weak. weak. They're, they're needy. They're, they're dependent. They can't do much for themselves. I don't know about you, but I don't like being weak. I don't like being needy. I don't like being dependent. And I especially don't like you thinking that I'm weak and needy and dependent. I know I am, but I certainly don't want others to think it is true. David's psalm, David's prayer, is a prayer of a weak and needy and dependent man. I wonder, what have you come up against recently that makes you feel weak? What have you come up against recently that exposes your neediness, um, your incompetence, your your desperate dependence on someone else for help. Um, There's a lot of ways that that happens for us. Maybe right now, parents, uh, your children, be they adult children or or still in your house, something going on with your child has you feeling incompetent, weak, powerless. There's nothing you can do to fix this. What am I going to do? There's nothing I can do to fix them. Maybe it's in your marriage or your former marriage. Um, Does your spouse or your ex-spouse despise you and you know it? Makes you feel incompetent, weak. Maybe it's at work. Um, you feel like you pour yourself into your work. You do the best that you possibly know how to do. And it still is underappreciated. Especially by those who seem to matter most. And there's that person in your office who just doesn't like you. Why should they not like you? You're wonderful. And even worse, sometimes it's your boss. Maybe they're, maybe they're backstabbing, you know, they're, they're trying to get you out so they can get it out. I don't know what it is. 
maybe you're coming up against the weakness that comes when you sense um, things I have done in the past, sins I've committed in the past, foolish choices I've made in the past, things that I'm convinced, I know that God has forgiven me for these things, but I'm still living with the consequences of those actions or those words. Um, I'm still living with the consequences of things that I've, I've been forgiven for, uh, but they still, they, they're messing up my life. And then maybe this. We have the privilege of having, there, there are several of us in this congregation who have the privilege of having our parents worship with us. That's, that's a really sweet thing. Um, but as, as we watch them, uh, we realize that, you know, getting older exposes your weakness. More and more, you're becoming dependent again. You don't have the strength to do what you want to do anymore. You don't have the endurance to do what you want to do for as long as you used to do it. Your mind doesn't quickly think like it used to. Or maybe your mind's sharp, but your body can't do what your brain thinks it can. (sighs) Getting older is exposing your weakness. If any of those things, if you relate to any of those things that are going on, then David's prayer is for you. Because every one of those things David experienced. His children were a wreck. And he couldn't do anything about it. They wanted to kill him. (laughs) His marriage... Let's just put it this way. He had several at the same time. (laughs) And one of them despised him in her heart just because he loved to worship God. Things at work were not going well. When he was a younger man, he worked for King Saul as the staff musician while his boss threw spears at him trying to kill him and pin him to a wall. And later, when he was the king and he was the boss, his employees betrayed him and tried to kill him. His, his generals, his leaders. And talk about living with the consequences of foolish choices and sins from the past, even though God had graciously forgiven them. David was living, that's the problem with his children, is because of his sins in the past. And then, I don't know if you'll remember this part of David's story, but when he was old, here is this warrior, this man who had power to make things happen. And when he was old, he had no more power to make things happen. He couldn't even keep himself warm. The Bible says they tried to put as many clothes on him as possible. And he just couldn't keep warm. 
And though this sounds a little awkward to us in our day, what they did was they hired a servant to get in bed with him so that her body heat could heat him up, warm him up. This was not a romantic thing at all. David had no power but to just lay there. But he had to have somebody else keep him warm in his old age. He had no more power. That man wrote this prayer for people like us, weak, needy, desperate people like us. Keep your bulletin handy. Keep your Bible handy. We're going to walk through it. I'm just going to ask you to see if any of what he's saying resonates with you. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. You need mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me. In your righteousness, enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. Do you, are you keenly aware of your moral weakness, of your spiritual weakness, that, that you have no righteousness to offer God on your own? Are you humbled by that? David was. Verses 3 and 4. For the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore, my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. Um, After praying for mercy, he now laments over his misery. His, His enemies are pursuing him crushing his life to the ground, making him sit in darkness like those long dead. And the result is that his spirit in him is weak. His heart within him is appalled. And I I love the words of the Bible, so I like to look up all these words. And that word appalled actually means that he was numb. His heart within him was numb. It's kind of the sense of he's so appalled by what's going on that he's just a deer in the headlights. He's stunned. He's, he's numb. Now, David had real flesh and blood enemies who were out to get him. As I said, some were his children. Some were his for, former uh, military uh, men. Some were the nations who hated him because they hated God. And you, you may have a few <laughs> flesh and blood enemies. Um, but we remember that Paul said that we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with the powers and forces of darkness that sometimes use humans, but the forces of evil in the heavenly realms who hate God, therefore hate us. Uh, those are our enemies. And do you sense that the enemy of your soul is pursuing you to crush you and to leave you dead? Does your spirit feel weak? Does your spirit faint against his attack? Do you feel numb? Are you stunned? You don't know how to move? This prayer is for you. 
David goes on in verses 5 and 6. And in the middle of his prayer, he starts to remember something. He says to God, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. So in the middle of his prayer, he's starting to recount to himself and to God all the works that God has done. And I imagine him thinking back, where does he find out what works God has done? Surely he knows the works that God has done in his own life, but he also has the scriptures. He also has Moses' account of all that God has done for his people, all the way from the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve, his first parents, rebelled against him, and God provided, um, promised that, that one would come and crush the head of that serpent, though he would be wounded on his heel. He remembers God saving Noah from judgment in the ark. He remembers God uh, saving his people Israel from bondage in Egypt, bringing them through the waters of the Red Sea and through the wilderness into the promised land that now David rules. He recounts all that God has done. And what God has done tells David something about who God is and what his heart is. What God has done is keep his faithful promise to promise breakers all these centuries. And so as David recounts and recalls and remembers what God has done, he gets another glimpse of God's heart for his people, and it makes David in verse 6 long for God. He, he, He switches from looking at what God has done, and now he just wants God I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. It's just waiting for the rain and wants to soak it up. So in the middle of this prayer, David remembers God, and he says, I want you. I want you. That kind of praying is for you, too. And then, having come to this place of humbly coming before God, grieving before God all that's going on in the misery of his life, and then remembering God's heart and longing for God's heart, the rest of the prayer is just a barrage of requests. It's just, in fact, they're, they're written as commands to God. He's so confident in God's heart for him. He's so confident in looking back at what God has done for his people all these centuries. David is so confident in God that he knows I'm his servant too and I can ask him for whatever I think I need. And he does it. He just, like like a little child who trusts his daddy's heart and just pesters him. Daddy, 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 I want this, I want this, I want this. That's what he does. Answer me quickly, oh God, just like a child. No, I want to know now, Daddy. When? Are we there yet? Answer me quickly, Lord. My spirit fails. Don't hide your face from me. Please, God, please don't don't turn away from me. I need your face toward me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. I'm going to die if you don't look at me. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love for a new trust. Lord, I've got, I want to get up every morning and 
lately I'm not wanting to get up at all, but when I do get up, I just want to hear you say you love me, please. That's going to get me through this day. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Everybody's telling me how I should live my life, what I should do with my life. I want to know what you want me to do, where you want me to go. I'm lifting my soul to you. Deliver me from my enemies, Lord. I fled to you for refuge. Yes, Lord, there's an array of human and non-human haters in my life. But I'm coming to you for refuge. Deliver me from them. Teach me, God, to do your will. You're my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. I keep stumbling. I keep learning the same lesson over and over again. Teach me, God. Lead me on level ground. Help me to walk with you. And then it all comes to a crescendo here in verse 11 when David says, For your name's sake, O Lord, Preserve my life. Revive me. All of this I've been saying is just a confession that I'm dead. I'm weak. I'm needy. I need your life. I can't live without you. I'm in trouble. Bring me out of it. And then verse 12 is just another statement of confident trust. I know that because of your steadfast covenant-keeping love, You will cut off all my enemies. You will destroy all the adversaries of my soul. Because I know this. I'm your servant. I'm yours. Friends, that's David praying that prayer. But as I said last week, we get to pray these prayers in a way that David never got to because of Jesus. And so... For the rest of the few minutes we have together in this, I want us to turn, I want us to look back again through this psalm and see how we can pray this prayer in a way that is sweeter than David could. It's just like David could in one way, but David didn't know how God was going to show his steadfast love to his people as well as we know because we look back and see Jesus. So when David says, uh, I'm pleading for mercy in your faithfulness, answer me in your righteousness here in verses one and two. Don't enter into uh, judgment with your servant. No one living is righteous before you. Jesus, (laughs) Jesus was the only faithful and righteous one. So Jesus can pray this prayer on behalf of us. On our behalf, Jesus says, Father, enter not into judgment with these servants because you've already put their judgment on me, your suffering servant. Hear their prayers, Father. In my faithfulness and in my righteousness, answer them. Paul quoted these verses in Romans 3. Paul said, no one is righteous, no, not one. That's what David said. No one living is righteous before you. But Paul went on and said, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but they can be declared righteous by God's grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. 
whom God offered as the payment for sin by his blood for those who will receive it by faith. Here's a reason why we can pray this prayer in a way that David couldn't. Because through Christ, we have received righteousness. Uh, recently, one of the pastors in our presbytery uh, told this story. Kevin Smith told this old parable. He said there was a king with two sons. And the younger son was one day out in the fields picking flowers. Um, you see, this king's throne room was full of fresh flowers all the time. And so this young boy wanted to please his father with some flowers for his throne room. So he was out picking the flowers, gathering them. But as the king, his father, watched him from the window, he recognized that this boy didn't know the difference between flowers and weeds. And some of those weeds looked pretty. And so he was gathering weeds. And he had a bouquet of weeds, and the father knew, uh, these weeds are not going to fit in my throne room. They're not worthy of my throne room. So he called his older son, and he said, son, I want you to go, and I want you to help your brother. I want you to make his bouquet worthy of my throne room. And so his older brother went, and as his younger brother was coming out of the field, he said, let me help you. And he took out all the weeds, and he picked the perfect flowers, and he put them in the bouquet for his younger brother, and he said, okay, now go see Dad. Go see daddy. And of course, the younger son comes into the throne room with this beautiful bouquet of flowers. And the king, his father, says, ah, come, beautiful, thank you. Gives me so much joy. Thank you for your gift. That's grace. God loved you so much that he sent his perfect son, Jesus, to remove from you all that would not be worthy of your king and to put in you all that would honor and delight the heart of your king, your father. You and I are not faithful and righteous enough to receive a hearing in the throne room of our king. But we can come to God through Jesus, the one who is righteous for us, the one who received the judgment for all of our faithlessness and unrighteousness, the one who credited to us all of his faithfulness and righteousness. And now we can cry out to God with confidence that he'll give us the mercy we need in the time of our trouble. That's what transforms this prayer for us. We come in the name of Jesus. And that's what it means to pray in the name of Jesus. Now, because of Jesus, the rest of David's prayer means even more. Verse 3, Jesus was pursued and crushed by his and our enemies, Satan, sin, death, hell, so that we will not ultimately be destroyed by them. And we can say, the enemy has pursued, he's crushed, he's made me sit in darkness. But no, there's Jesus. Verse 4, David says, my spirit faints within me and my heart within me is appalled. This is exactly what Jesus experienced in the Garden of Gethsemane as he faced the cross. But Jesus faced the cross that we deserved and his spirit, though faint and stunned, was steadfast 
He cried out to his father and he went to the cross for us. He knows then what it means to be weak. He knows what it means when you say your heart is numb. He's been there. And you can pray knowing that what your heart feels, he knows. What your heart needs, he understands. And that one day, one day, because of what he's done on the cross for you, all that weakness and numbness is going to go away. In verse 5, when David starts to remember all that God has done and ponder it and meditate on it, you can know that Jesus has fulfilled all of those Old, all of those Old Testament pictures and promises. They're all fulfilled in Jesus. And you can have confidence in the heart of this God because of Jesus. And so when I pray, when I spend that time with him, I want to meditate on his heart for me as it's pictured in Jesus. Until my heart says, I stretch out my hands to you, God. My soul thirsts for you, Jesus. And then that barrage of requests are transformed by Jesus as well. Answer me quickly, O Lord. Because God heard the prayers of Jesus, whose spirit never failed, we can have confidence that God will hear us. Our spirits may fail, as David says about his. But Romans 8 reminds us that the spirit who lives in us, the spirit of Jesus helps us in our weakness. We don't know what to pray as we ought to pray, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. David says, hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. But because God hid his face from Jesus, you and I can be guaranteed that he will never, ever, ever hide his face from us. And that because Jesus actually went down into the pit, into the grave, but rose again by the love of the Father, you and I can know. Though it may feel like a pit, we will be raised. Resurrection is coming. He will never hide his face from us or leave us in the grave. It's David's prayer to let uh, me hear in the morning of your steadfast love. <laughs> because Jesus was raised by love on the morning of the third day, you and I can wake up every day and know that his mercies are new every morning, that his love for us is new every morning. It never runs out. We've been delivered from the enemies that sought to conquer Jesus, but he conquered. And we can ask him to teach us to do his will because, and, and to let his good spirit lead us on level ground because Jesus has ascended into heaven and sent his Holy Spirit to live in us, to teach us the truth, Jesus said, and to show us how to live because Jesus said he would not only be with us, he would be in us by his spirit. It transforms David's prayer for teaching and spirit leading. And then for your name's sake, O oh Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. Because the righteous life and death and, the resur and resurrection of Jesus 
vindicated the name of the Lord, we can confidently ask him to revive us for the sake of his name. God's commitment to his name is our guarantee for his help to revive us. God's commitment to his name is the guarantee, as David said in verse 12, in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies and you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul for I am your servant. Friends, my desire in teaching you this psalm this morning is that you would see in Jesus that you have freedom to pray like this. We're going to have to first admit that we need, we have need, that we are weak. But God in his grace has given us words to pray, a way to communicate with him, a way to share our hearts with him, and he's given us a Savior who is the answer to all of these prayers. Thanks be to God. Father, ah, make us people who pray like that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.